Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 606. In fact, I've called it episode TR606 just because I've got a keyboard and I can, I've can. i realised that I could type that into my CMS and it would come up in the show title. Uh, but, yeah, 606 is the episode. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a portentous number in music technology. Uh, if we ever get to 808, that will be another one. Uh, we did 303, so, uh, you know, we're, we're past that one. I don't know if we've done every single iteration of uh, music technology, but I try and pop them in every once in a while. And that's because this is the podcast to do with music technology. It is actually a show dedicated to synthesizers, music production electronic music production, all kinds of music production, recording, performance, live production, all of the things that go into making the things that we listen to in a musical form. So uh, I want to say thank you to uh, everybody for listening. Uh, If you've not seen us before, we record this every Wednesday at 4pm UK time. Uh, Pretty much every every week of the year, holidays uh, um, allowing. And... um, we also have a, a very good supporter in the form of Isotope, and Isotope will be giving away a copy of Ozone 9 uh, a little later on in the show. Ozone 9 Advance, you can uh, find out how to uh, enter that competition. You need to be on Twitter, and we'll also be announcing who won it last week as well. But anyway, let's get on to our guests. I'm going to start with Mr. Steve Hillier from Brighton, UK, who is an educator, a performer, a DJ, a pop icon, I dare say. Uh, and we haven't seen him for ages. And uh, um, it's really good to have you, Steve. How are you and how have you been? What have you been up to? Um, oh, well, I'm, I'm really pleased to uh, to be back, Nick, and thank you for such an amazing intro. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been all right. Actually, to be honest, about this time last year, um, I had a bit of a some difficulty um, health-wise, actually. I ended up uh, being in hospital for a bit, but I'm completely over that. And um, and since then, uh, sort of travelling around, really, getting in as much work as possible in Europe. And um, kind of excited with uh, quite a few things that's been happening in the music technology world just recently, including a, a few acquisitions uh, that we were just talking about, including the uh, the Neutron here that's above my uh, System 100M, which uh, is a beautiful thing, really. Um, and I'm going to treat myself, I think, later today to some of those uh, sort of templates, you know, you can put different um, sort of uh, covers over the top of the knobs that give the, the Neutron a different uh, flavour, essentially. Not sonically, but just visually. And oh, okay. maybe I've got too much time on my hands. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, too much time. Is there such a thing as too much time when you've got synthesizers to play with? <laughs> is that time well spent or time wasted? I don't think it's time wasted. But uh, that's... Uh, well, I think it, it makes me happy. And that's all we could ever want, really, is it? It certainly is. It certainly is. Well, lovely to have you, Steve, and thank you very much for joining us. And also, we have a, another um, regular, but not so much recently, Mr. Dave Spears of G4 Software, who is he's in his sort of. I mean, this is. I'd say this is the uh, the, the 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 minor keyboard den, but it's still you're still looking like you would wouldn't be amiss with a cape on your shoulders because you have. Is that a CS60 on your left, a CS80 behind you, and a JD800 or 8000? I can't tell. 800. 800. 60, 80. Well spotted. So, how have you been? What have you been up to? All right. I bought this, though. Whoa, just hey, for today. Nice. Hey. 606. There it is. Hmm. It's not mine. It's a mate's. He's left it here for years. Uh, in fact, I think it's broken. I need to take it to Kent to get it fixed. But can anyone tell me... It's got separate outputs. They weren't standard, were they? they no, don't look that's, no, that's not. That's, no. that's a retrofit. Yeah. All right, in which case, I might keep it. Thank you. Yeah. 
<laughs> Excellent. Well, Dave, of course, uh, G4 Software, uh, synth historian, synth kind of uh, aficionado, and uh, G4 Software's one of the G4 Software main guys working on fabulous emulation software and such like. I, I've got a, I've got a cold voice, so I can speak in kind of voiceover mode today. That sounds very good. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Very Perhaps. radio. Lovely to have you, though, Dave, and uh, I'm looking okay. forward to hearing what you say. Uh, and also, we have Mr. Gaz Williams here, uh, who's once again with us from his studio. What is that mic? Is that one of the... Um, uh... It's a, a Lewitt mic. Oh, it's, it's a Lewitt the, mic. Yeah, Ooh. it's the 640. This is the one that you can tap out the other diaphragm and do all the fancy changing the polar patterns after the fact, which is super cool. Excellent. Um, see, seeing that 606, though, I'm just pining. I, I've mentioned it before, but I sold my 606 for 40 quid trying to raise some money to buy it. I can't remember what it was. It was some Yamaha rx thing or something. But all my original four-track recordings I did in the in the late 80s was all with my 606. And it's been one of my great life life's great regrets, you know. Somewhere, though, I still have the little silver bag with the orange writing on you know, the So that's somewhere. I'm going to dig that out. Some sometime that that's probably a collector's item. I would have thought, um, but yes, that's, I, I had a, a six oh six myself that I um, I bought really quite cheaply right at the end of the eighties. But when I sold it, I didn't sell it because I needed the money. I made that classic uh, late eighties, early nineties thinking. I'll just sample this and I'll take <laughs> one sample of each uh, drum sound and that will do. And um, you know, it's just one entry on my long list of regrets from the 80s mm. oh that is a shame i, I can understand that i mean I, I know that i know that feeling because uh you know we all did the same thing and everybody was kind of like why doesn't that sound right it doesn't sound the same why doesn't it sound the same and um, we don't we still yeah. i guess we still don't know for i mean now sampling technology and audio interfaces have improved sufficiently to be able to kind of do these things more justice but uh, I, well i did that i did that test where i ran my drm1 uh and just like a kind of kick snare kick snare really simple pattern and i sampled it and then i copied and pasted that sample and then i and then just recorded it playing it for a long time and then just a bead between the two um and the non sort of looped version just sounded more engaging and it well, the, really the, the did. source material, you mean the actual the actual instrument? Yeah, itself. I mean, I sampled just like a you know a one bar loop and copy and pasted it, or I then just recorded the same you know off. Um, but when you look at the waveforms and uh, you know they, they all start exactly the same, you know the kind of the you know they reach more or less exactly the same um, volume, and but when you zoom in on the waveform, it's all different. It is different, every single one. I mean, it's obviously a very, very subtle thing, but I, I think that, you know, we've talked about it before, haven't we? That, that idea that, uh, that, that our brains just recognise a sample. We're so used to a pattern, repeating pattern, whereas if it's constantly mm. changing. Yeah, it's the, it's the, the chaotic nature, the chaotic nature of mm. stuff. We just don't know what that is. Um, uh, for those who are interested, uh, still goes for around 350 quid to 400 on Reverb, the 606. Um, Definitely keeping it. 
So you know, it's it's, and also we think it was the it was the eight oh eight came first, and then the six oh six came afterwards mm. as a sort of cut down. You know, as the the, the flagship technology. But there was also the three oh three that came along at the same time. But there was no equivalent sort of flagship technology for the three oh three being brought into the six oh six. I th- into that range. I remember as a kid, I went to London. I had some friends who lived in a squat. They were in a band called Eat, and I was kind of toying with the idea of moving to London and being in a band as the keyboard player. And I went up there and there was a guy called Tim Saul, who's the bass player, brilliant, brilliant bass player. And he was into techno at a really early age. And I went there, it must have been in the eight, early 80s, and he had a 606 and a 303 in the little flip vinyl cases. And he was just, he would just do gigs with this, those two things because it was all sort of really early acid. And it was around the time of that and go-go beat and stuff like that. And he was, I just I just vividly remember seeing it and go, wow, that's amazing. That was my first exposure. So that I don't know, it would have been in the early 80s. It might even be in the year of release. I can't remember. But anyway, that's all. I, that's my... 606 story that's all I've got that's the it. thing about the six, the 606 was cool though because you could program a whole song into it and you could have all different sort of pattern lengths it was surprisingly powerful the way that you could make song arrangements so I would make complete song arrangements on the uh, for my four track I would program it entirely on the 606 you know with all the different patterns and fills and all you know um, you know full arrangements so I think that's kind of like an underrated aspect of it it's really cool. Yeah, well, it was early. I mean, there were uh, uh, early drum machines to, to be able to do that, that, you know, the mm. pattern chaining and all of that kind of business. It was such a tedious and uninteresting way of creating music, which, <laughs> though, wasn't it? I mean, because you'd end up, it would be like, oh, I really want to change the arrangement. But then you look at it and just go, I can't be bothered. You know? I really can't be go bothered to go through all of that again just to change because I'd like to add another bar. So in many ways, it became, it was the early tyrannical grid kind of uh, scenario, I suppose, in many ways, even though it was analogue. Uh, but I suppose that's really uh, just nonetheless. That, so I mean, this 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 program has, seems to have been sort of fallen into two camps. We've got the kind of like the the, the retro uh, remember this kind of scene, and then there's also some kind of quite interesting and terrifying future uh, future technology stuff as well. So let's start with um, let's start with I think we've got this guy. This is this is basically Fact Magazine did a. Uh, a little piece with Sharon, who is, or Cheron, I don't know how you pronounce it, who, for those who don't remember, uh, was Supernature. Salut, which was Sharon, je suis ravi de vous recevoir pour Fact Magazine. An voilà, early... Je suis où je vis, je passe mes journées, et j'ai choisi aujourd'hui... Oh, I mean, what's the point in play? If I, got, I can't remember. Uh, I think I've got it here somewhere, actually. I can play the track that he's talking This is the guy that made this track, basically, so... So, you'll reckon... You'll recognise it. And they grew up very, you know, very of its time. One of the early, early, early sort of synth disco tracks, I believe. Anyway, so that was all about how he bit, how he did it, and it was fascinating. He he was one of the first. He got uh, sent a uh, ARP Odyssey. Because it, 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 there's so many truisms in this video, he sort of says, "Oh yeah, well as you as you would at the time, you know, people manufacturers would send you gear in the hope that you'd credit them on the album at some point. You know, it was the same old, and, and it's a similar kind of protocol these days." And he said, and he realised that he could do the sequence stuff with the um, with with the Art Odyssey when it would just repeat, but he couldn't play it in time because he used live drums. So he sp- he slowed the tape down to half speed and played every single note in over. And the, the song was 10 or 11 minutes long, so it took him 20 <laughs> minutes to do this kind of thing. And so that's that did a little, little, little thing, which is the sort of main thrust of the track. It was just I just thought it was really interesting. And uh, other facts as well that were fascinating about it. I don't know. Um, 
Dave, you must remember that track. I mean, I'm not saying you were you were particularly you were, you were probably only a kid when it came out, but it's very. It's probably I discovered oh, it later, but it's a it's it's very atmospheric, isn't it? Such a good track. I remember it for very different reasons, which probably can't be uh, broadcast. But um, <laughs> do you remember the Kenny Everett show with Hot Gossips? Oh yeah, they would always dance to that particular track. So it was like double bonus for a young teenage lad, (laughs) completely (laughs) hormonally mental at the time. Uh, Weirdly enough, I was at school with uh, a bloke whose sister was in Hot Gossip, who later married Pete Waterman, bizarrely enough. But um, so, yes, it was like, oh, come and watch Michael Gingell's sister on to dancing to supernature in very scantily clad. There you go. That's a bit pervy, isn't it? But, you know, I was young. I didn't know any better. I do now. But the French had it going on, didn't they? Certainly with the old disco clubby. Was Magic Fly, were they? Was that Space or whatever? They were, they were French, know, weren't they? Yeah, I don't that know. That was also another kind of 70s killer thing. But I love this video. I could listen to people like that all day. It's really interesting, and the video itself uh, um, is actually very evocative of time. And in fact, Goldfrapp, I think their third album was called Supernature. And looking at the the, the look and the vibe of that, they, she definitely, I guess, they have inspired with the creative sort of thing around that time and sort of utilised. They didn't actually cover Supernature, but they called their album the Supernature. Um, Steve, you you've DJed a lot. Is Supernature in your vinyl um, crate, <laughs> as it were? No, not not. Not really. Um, I, th- I think it, it, it was a very big tune at the time, um, but I, I don't. You just don't really hear it out so much. I think um, these days it, it's kind of um, maybe associated with. I don't know. I, I, I want to watch what I'm saying here, but seeing as Dave's mentioned uh, Kenny Everett, I, <laughs> the board's wide open. But it's it, it feels much like a sort of um, a sort of gay disco tune. Yeah, in, I think that's probably. Ways. I think it's probably and, and Studio Fifty Four really, really, really yeah. kind of got it going as well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that that's um, a niche and a, and a you know very vibrant niche, but it's not um, uh, a niche that I ever really uh, played to, um, you know. Um, but watching that video, I, I realised a few different things, but just how much of an influence that chap's had on uh, modern uh, music, especially uh, out of Northern Europe. And there was one particular guy who I, I really rate. He's called Lindström or Strom. Uh, my Norwegian uh, pronunciation is uh, rather uh, limited, but he's really good. And a lot of the stuff that he does, uh, you can hear there's a real... Um, He's taken a kind of a line from that late 70s electronic music where the, where you had the electronics, but also a combination of live playing, which I think was, I don't want to call it unique to the time, but it was a real uh, finger, sonic fingerprint at the time. And his uh, recent stuff sounds a lot like this. At least it's got the same DNA in it. So I'd really recommend, um, there's a tune of his called Blinded by the LEDs, which wow. uh, came out last year, which um, if you like Supernature, I think you'd probably like that as well. Great. It's interesting, isn't it? That whole, um, that sort of, I, I, it sounds like it's phased or ensembled kind of thing. That, that was in loads of stuff, wasn't it? it was, there was Japan, uh, one of the early Japan tracks. You know, there's there's a ton of it. It's, it was a thing. Oh, and yeah. and listening to it, although he was going, oh, I like to uh, have it living. I mean, the beginning is massively out of time and wonky as hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that just sounds like poor execution right. to me. But did you know, Gaz, that Lena Lovitch co-wrote that track? Uh, that's amazing, isn't it? That's uh, I mean, like this song. I think really, I gotta confess, 
came onto my radar in recent years because it was in the soundtrack on GTA 4, which, ah, I mean, okay. as yeah. everyone knows, the, G- the GTA soundtracks are amazing but they're also re- yeah you know they're really well curated they can and um there was a one of the channels i think it was like kind of studio i think it was called studio no i don't think it was called studio 54 but it was something like that and um there's a lot of kind of disco and, and and funky tunes on that and that was on there and um because he's been making serone has been making really cool tunes continues to make cool tunes in a similar vibe um to this day which is which is cool um but there is like there is that kind of i mean it's amazing when you re- realize how kind of primitive the approach was there still is a sophistication to the to the feel of the track though that i that i love yeah um, i i wonder i wonder whether if you heard the multi-track before it was mixed yeah. how rough right. it would be you know because it's one of those tracks <laughs> that probably was done in the mix which was much more the case those days but yeah i take your point but there was yes. one thing that he mentioned in the video uh, talking about sophistication, which I thought was really interesting, where he was talking about having to play the bass line at halftime um, and that taking a long time, so 20 minutes to do the whole thing. But then he also mentioned that compared to modern uh, recordings where we have essentially an infinite range of sounds at, at, at our fingertips, back then... He was exceptionally limited. And what that meant was, was that he could turn around this entire record in about a day. I think he said he did it in just one day, uh, you know, from having the idea, or that's probably writing the song, to actually completing it, including mixing. And it just made me think once again that there's something really to be said for restricting uh, your sound sources and just focusing in on the instruments you know really well. for lots of different reasons, but one of them is that actually you can speed up your work rate, as mm. um, Mark Saran uh, experienced in this case. Yeah, no, and it's right. And the vibe, that's what he was saying, wasn't it? It was just like, got into it. And all the great tracks that I know, particularly dance tracks, are done. I have to fit. I mean, Rick Smith talked about, you know, a rares and stuff years, with me years ago and stuff, and he was just like, I had to finish it. I had to finish it. It was just like, I was in the moment, I was in the vibe, and it just had to be done. And I think that's the same yeah. with loads and loads of stuff. The performance is the thing. And even though you say it's a little bit wonky, and I dare say there was a bit of very speed involved at some point, it's just, it's got a vibe. It's a sleazy vibe, but it's still a cool vibe. I wonder, yeah, I wonder, that's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, they call it in the being in the flow now, don't they? Which is the sort of, you know, creative in across all sorts of uh, creative uh, disciplines. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? But uh, yeah, it's hard. And that's... Again, we've talked about that before, you know, getting the IT out of the way so it, it doesn't inhibit the flow part of it. And we all spend inordinate amounts of time trying to make our own systems work so that it doesn't ever get in the way. And failing or uh, or succeeding to various degrees. <laughs> Without that, where would we be? Where would this podcast be, though? That's all I have to say. <laughs> we are the cornerstone of... Uh, yeah. Um, so... Anyway, that was, yeah, that was the Serene Supernature on Fact Mag. I saw that on Synthtopia, actually, which is uh, worth checking out. If you, uh, that's the original page. That's what the gentleman looks like there. I, I'm, I'm sure you know. So I don't know if that's an original ARP or whether he's now... No, it's, it's, the, the it's the wrong ARP. It's the wrong one. It's the wrong ARP with the wrong... Uh, okay, that must be... Is that the, the Behringer ARP or is that the Korg yes. ARP? Oh, okay. Hard to know which is which these days. Um, although, yeah, that's got lights on it. 
Right. Um, well, that's three topics down. Crikey. Um, so I, I has maybe we should maybe I'll I'll, I'll just dro drop the isotope competition now uh, just so that we can get that out of the way because I have a feeling these next few topics will spur considerable amount of discussion. So uh, let's just have a little chat with uh, our friends. Building on a 17-year legacy in audio mastering, Ozone 9 brings balance to your mix with never-before-seen processing for low-end, real-time instrument separation, and lightning-fast workflows powered by machine learning. Expect lower CPU usage and shorter startup times with Ozone 9 compared to Ozone 8. Experience fluid metering in a fully resizable environment that lets you track the most subtle details of your audio. Use more plugins at once, mix while you master without worrying about slowdowns or dropouts. And immerse yourself in a smooth, modern experience designed to keep you in your creative flow. As you can see, Ozone 9 is the fastest way to get your master off the ground. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to check out our other videos and head to isotope.com to learn more about mixing and mastering and to download your free trial of Ozone 9. Why ever not? And we thank them for their uh, sponsorship of the show in terms of bringing us the, uh, well, bringing, bringing us the prize. So uh, this week we've got uh, a, a, another um, iteration of the competition. So what we're looking for, if you want to win a copy of Isotope Ozone 9 Advance, which is a fantastic mastering and, well, uh, just very useful um, piece of software, uh, we're looking for the hashtag bring balance, which is one word, and the hashtag ozone nine to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's on Twitter. Uh, that's the hashtag bring balance and the hashtag ozone nine to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And if you uh, tweet those, uh, you'll be picked from the uh, supercomputer um, software winning algorithm that we've developed over many years. Uh, and, well, I'm not saying you'll be picked, but someone will be picked, as was from last week. And I've, this is the algorithm in work. So uh, uh, a chap called Natal Hardy. Uh, I'm not sure where they're from. It looks like he might be playing, I can't tell if that's what, some sort of wind instrument. It may actually be some kind of ethnic wind, uh, ethnic uh, Indian wind instrument. I can't tell. But his job is quality of life, and he tweeted uh, the hashtags last week and was picked out of the uh, the, the uh, participants. So, uh, in fact, it seems his entire Twitter handle is to do with uh, entering the competition. So, um, uh, very much thank you for that, And that's, which means, you know, you don't have to be on Twitter active just to win. But So, if you want to get in touch, Natal, you are the, the winner. Um, right. Okay, so here comes... Uh, uh, have I got the right one? Hawkey wants to no, it's cloning. this one. For instance, if someone wanted to clone my voice... Ah, I have to start at the beginning. Cloning. For instance, if someone wanted to clone my voice, there are hours and hours of pardon. my recording. Let's try Dear fellow again. scholars, this is Two Minute Papers with Károly Zsolnai Fehir. Today, we are going to listen to some amazing improvements in the area of AI-based voice cloning. For instance, if someone wanted to clone my voice, there are hours and hours of my recordings on YouTube and elsewhere, they could do it with previously existing techniques. But the question today is, if we had even more advanced methods to do this, how big of a sound sample would we really need for this? Do we need a few hours? A few minutes? The answer is no. Not at all. Hold on to your papers because this new technique only requires 5 seconds. Let's listen to a couple examples. The Norsemen considered the rainbow as a bridge over which the gods passed from Earth to their home in the sky. Take a look at these pages for Crooked Creek Drive. There are several listings for gas station. Right. Now, 
on the face of it, this might seem like a bit of an abstract topic, but and, and indeed it might be. Uh, John Pichet actually sent us this link and just sort of said, look what they could do with AI, AI synthesized voices. And we quite often, uh, we're, we're exposed to this a lot. You know, we use some of us use Google Translate, some of us use uh, Amazon uh, um, services as well. I won't say her, word, her name just in case it fires off some sort of instruction in your home. But all of this stuff is is current technology, and it's really uh, quite interesting how that's come out. But what they've done here, and this is using a technique, uh, it's called Google Tachotron, which is the kind of core technology. What they're able to do is kind of it, uh, sample a voice, and then a neural network, and um, they call it spectral, I think it's network vocoding, or neural vocoding, that can then apply the, the, that voice to any written text and say it to speak it and, and and it's very convincing but then another thing that they could do which is even weirder uh, is they can take uh, now so if i've got this here i don't think i've got the uh, example right away but basically what they could do is they can take your source voice and then get that to speak in a completely different language with varying degrees of accent as well and that's just kind of mind-blowing i mean and, and what this might mean for music and other things is is insane you know and i've not seen this kind of stuff before and there are all sorts of ramifications for this obviously i know um steve we've talked i'm sure with episodes where you've been on with uh, about the uh uh, the the Votalk and the technology that's uh, quite prevalent in uh, uh, Japan, where you have these kind of synthesized voices singing tracks, and it's very useful for some people. Maybe you want to do demos and whatnot, but this is like another level. I mean, it, granted, it's not singing yet, but it can't be far off, right? No, and uh, this really uh, caught my imagination when I saw the the video. Um, I think that there's there's so many possibilities here. We could take just a couple. First one, if you can construct a spoken voice from a convincing spoken voice from just five seconds worth of speech, could you use the same technique to with just five seconds of an a cappella? So, for example, if you had a Whitney Houston a cappella and you wanted Whitney Houston to sing on your song, would it be possible to apply the same uh, neural techniques to model a, a Whitney Houston for you and then get her singing for you? This is an extraordinary thing. But th there was a few other things that, that, that made me wonder on this. I think um, around Christmas time, I know I wasn't on the show then, but um, there was some software. It was a new um, uh, software vocalist um, and it sounded very convincing. In fact, it sounded a lot like uh, Sarah from my old band in Dubstar. Oh, that's right. Yes, and, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and I try, and some sort of cloud computing aspects of this, which was really good. I think that, you, that they actually synthesized the voice in their own um, uh, computing computer farm, server farm, and sent it back to you. And it was all good, but there was one thing that, that was still a bit of a pain, which is that you had to play in the notes like on a keyboard or something, and then type in the words in order for the, the vocal to be synthesized. Well, I was thinking, why don't you instead, couldn't we have a situation where a computer would be able to recognize the words that you're saying or speaking? So we've already got a speech to text and then combine that with some pitch detection so that the way that you would input to these um, software vocalists is not typing things in, but singing, singing. into it. Singing badly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. But, but they much get the like phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. it would speed things up 
um, a lot. But then I thought, well, then you could combine that with maybe the uh, facility to model um, not just one vocalist, not just the Sarah Blackwood, but a Whitney Houston or a Mark Ron not Mark Ronson, um, but anybody who sings, which means not Mark Ronson. But, you know, you could just do that. And all of a sudden, you, you could have essentially anybody singing on your record. And then I got came to the end, towards the end of my fever dream, which was, what about if you could also do this in real time? So, for example, rather than doing the, the voice to text recognition and pitch detection and then sending it off to render a voice offline, would it be that big a leap to actually do it in real time? So, for example, you could, you could be on stage and let's say that you've got a, a sore throat or maybe you're just, you know, 20 years past your peak. You could have a model of your own voice. When you were good. And then you <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And so you, so you would sing and and then the, the moss would be, you know, would, would come out of the speakers, hopefully, you know, essentially in real time. Um, this would open up an incredible world of creativity uh, for music. Um, then I had some paracetamol and felt a lot better. <laughs> wow. Yes. I, I mean, there's there's an element of subterfuge about this, though, isn't there? There's, this is, we're, we're ignoring the kind of how will we ever believe anything we ever hear of a spoken word again or a sung word. Creatively, perhaps it doesn't matter quite so much because, you know, music is an art form and it doesn't matter where necessarily, you know, whether the, the, the music was created from a, a, a sequencer, a machine or a player. It depends on your personal taste. You know, you might prefer the sound of a real player or whatever. But in, ter in terms of actual information, Information, it's terrifying. I don't know what you think about this, Gaz, but it's sort of. I mean, and yeah. I know you. You know, you use voice control for a lot of stuff already, and it's already ingesting you. So it could probably right. spit use talking back at yourself one day, things that you'd never said. You know, who knows? Yeah. Well well, we we we, look, we saw that we we covered that thing uh, maybe it was a couple of years ago. That I think it was Adobe was showing it, weren't they? Where you got a, um, like a a word processor where you could actually just yeah. kind of right and it would use the um phenomes phenomes is that what you call them um mm. all the little parts uh and then it will play it back and sound like the like whoever whoever you want it to be um but i mean steve's just said something i was thinking about you know which is just being able to sing like a kind of karaoke and have the person's kind of it wraps your voice in almost like convolution in the person who you're singing you know like singing like elvis or something you'd still have to put i guess a certain amount of the expressions in. yeah this yeah, is what expression. i meant but this is, a, this mm. is it done properly yeah <laughs> you're right so it got me thinking about what the copyright you know whether copyright will encompass the, yeah. the identity i don't think anything like that exists or, or i guess it's um i suppose it would come under uh forgery would it maybe um but uh yeah we, you know, we did we did discuss this didn't yeah. we that i think maybe yeah. last time steve was on the kind of idea that you know what happens is that you or is that them you know it's 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 tricky isn't it mm, but yeah. i don't know how it, but i mean as we said also many many well-known singers of the past, maybe not in the current era, but in the previous, were just singers. They didn't song right. So there's a less of a, a of an issue there. I suppose if you're talking about people who wrote the song as well, 
and you're singing, then you're sort of getting into. So what happens if you put Elvis on a current, <laughs> Elvis on a current voice, or two people that are still alive, one who wrote the song and one who didn't sing on the original, mashed them together in a way that made it. Oh yeah, gosh, mess mess that up. I don't know. It's it's terrifying. I don't know, Dave. What do you think? It's 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 an interesting. I mean, is this a window into what's going to happen? I mean, is there going to be a point whereby we don't, as human beings, we are unable... To, I mean, this is happening politically. I don't want to get into that too much. But we're unable to tell what the truth is already in most cases. So when it comes down to basic stuff, like somebody rings up, so it's applied to maybe sales or, you know, facts or quotes or anything, anything could this you, you could get anybody to say anything and it would sound convincing. Yeah. Yeah, I admire um, Stephen Gaz's optimism. I do not share it in the slightest, I'm afraid. <laughs> the only good thing I can think about this is those irritating accident cold calls and PPI things might sound slightly less irritating. Oh, yeah. But this is open to rampant abuse, and I don't see any good coming from I Hey, I'd love to be proved wrong. But we've got, I mean, we have a hard enough job distinguishing what's fact and what's complete made-up nonsense as it is. And as for, you know, artificial intelligence, can we see some actual intelligence before we kind of disappear down this rabbit hole? So, yeah, no, as far as I'm concerned. I do not want <laughs> my dad, somebody pretending to be my dad, ringing me up, telling me my mother's died and then trying to scam me out of a load of money because that's the dark side of where this is going to go and that's where it'll go. Yeah, I, well, I, 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 I kind of suspect you might be right. I mean, it's going to increase. It's going to require a whole new set of legislation and whatnot. It's going to be quite fascinating. And I think, you know, I, I wrote an article about this today as well, and where I was thinking, you know, the rise of the robots is not being corralled into uh, pens and forced to do hard labour by robots with laser guns. It's this. <laughs> this is the this is the reality of it. The sort of the skew in what is real and what is true. And as a human, this already. Having... Sorry, sorry, Nick. Yeah. Uh, this already exists in journalism. I know. I went to uh, see. Uh, John Pilger talk uh, ages ago and uh, he said that actually what's happening now are publishers are churning out artificial in intelligence of. articles in right. the style of or in the prose of and that's really quite frightening I don't know we're already scared enough I don't need to be scared anymore, anymore scared. Scared. Yeah. I, I, I saw you wanted to come in there just to build on uh, what Dave said there with the um should we call it artificial German journalism? Uh, this has been going on quite a while, and I, I know of many cases where basically the article that you read is a sort of a an AI version of a press release that's come from a brand. So there's not even an attempt at the pretense of uh, this being a disinterested party writing about something. It's just essentially uh, rewriting the words that's been supplied by a big company so i think you may, so, this okay, might have been mentioned before actually i i'm, I'm a certainly i'm kind of thinking yeah that, I, I could do with some of that sometimes because it's not enough <laughs> of us to go around to to rewrite that press release that's just literally you know vst plug-in re releases uh, 200 new presets based on blah 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 i mean i i would imagine that doesn't do much harm but yeah it's i i, I can see where you're going with this oh you don't like this <laughs> <laughs> One thing I would um, I'd want to just add to this, and I, I do understand uh, Dave's um, 
you know, concern about all of this. But I think we've already lived through a period where we've adjusted how we, how and who we trust, if you know what I mean. So we're, we're really used to now things like banks don't ring you up and ask you for money or that you've, if you're going to log into um, Gmail, they'll occasionally send a text to your phone. So you get like a, an extra level of verification. And I'm hoping um, that we'll get this in you know, a wider society that we won't just take on board a voice that we've heard, you know, like a, a video that we've seen, unless it's endorsed by uh, an institution that we actually trust and of course though that opens up a whole new world of problems which is which institution do you trust um but uh yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that's true in the meantime i, I, I like my circumcised voice thing yeah i, I think that i will stick with that shall we I, guys i think let's stick with the, the yeah. benign future shall we i i, I wonder though if there's going to be like kind of surgical implants where you can have um digitally you know, digitally kind of controllable voice cords actually implanted into your throat. You know, obviously you'd probably need to somehow stretch your head as well. I think, yeah, I think there'll, be a, make, there'll just be an app. You can just talk into your phone and out, out will come. Yeah. You know. Hmm. But I mean, it is, uh, you know, we're going through this really strange time at the moment with copyright regarding certainly recently with the Katy Perry flame issue of, um, that being like a likeness um so i you know this is another headache certainly for um you know for copyright going into the future i think you know i think there is a, a really you know intriguing notion there of uh, something that sounds just like something whether that will become you know even more kind of legislated against or in in terms of um copyright uh, Oh, the complexity. The complexity. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it sort of probably goes back to the kind of uh, the rules of robotics with Isaac Asimov, isn't it? And, you know, kind of, or Arthur C. Clarke, isn't it? Was it Asimov or Clarke? Asimov. Asimov. Asimov, yeah. I can't remember what yeah. they are, but they were sort of basically don't be evil, weren't they? You know, pretty much was the sort of the nub of it. Kind of like what yeah. Google say they're supposed to do, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to have my doubts these days. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, let's 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 kind of move this more into the sphere of music technology. Although I think this is relevant because, you know, th there's a crossover here between what we've what we use in music technology and what what is now happening in in technology that forms uh, the wider people. Uh, perhaps I won't go into the uh, um, what's happening in China um, thing because it just might be a little bit too depressing. But let, I haven't got a video for this. But okay, so let's let with with these technological advances in mind, future gear and future trends. Where do you think we're we're heading now? Because we've had this massive analog kind of resurgence. There's this sort of moving window of nostalgia which uh, I was talking about in the wave state review, which is um, what I'm currently working on. And the idea that, you know, we've had analog stuff on the focus of that open window that was been coming, being brought back. Behringer are doing it all the time. You know, there are other people who are reinventing or re reinvigorating or re regurgitating, however you look at it. But then now Korg have got the wave station and with the wave state. And Dave, you were saying something about people kind of looking for classic M1 sounds. Do you think it's shifting? Are we heading to a kind of digital nostalgia as well? And if, if that's the case, where do you think, you know, new stuff might be might be coming? I mean, new, new stuff or what the trend, whatever that might be. Oh, it's definitely, you know, it moves. It's just a generational thing, isn't it? Actually, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said Elvis memorabilia is kind of, uh, the prices have kind of fallen off the cliff edge because that generation are starting to sort of disappear 
so you know it does shift in fact it's really fast you know i did this album uh, last year or whenever it was it only took me like 10 years to do um but it's all it was based about growing up in the 70s and it did better than i thought seven and a half copies which was pretty good um so i decided to do an 80s i've, I've started on an 80s one which of course means that i can go to chris and go can I have a fair light? Can I have one of these? Can I have one of those? Which, of course, <laughs> will just go, no. But uh, as a result, I've we've got a wave station, which I started to kind of noodle with. Uh, very interesting. And then I just fired up the M1, and there are just sounds on that that immediately transport me back. I mean, the early 90s, really. But the nylon guitar, the piano for the kind of house ramp stuff, and I did get this kind of wave of nostalgia. Really interesting as well, because I pulled out a Nord lead, uh, which, of course, Anders used on, you know, back in the day. And there was just one patch in there that was like the beginning of one of their tracks. And I was like, wow, wow, wow. And I definitely got a little bit goosebumpy. So it's really fascinating. New generations kind of coming through. FM at the minute seems to be... I hesitate to say where the cool guys are at because uh, I, I don't really trust myself as cool. But I want to know more. And we've got a coder who's uh, 26 and has grown up with FM, and that's his real passion. And actually what he's done with that has just blown me away when he kind of plays me stuff that he's done, you know, modules that he's built in software, obviously. And he's played that to me, and I'm like, wow, so how do you get that? So that's something I'd really... I want to kind of go back to that era. Where we go next, obviously, I have no idea. I'm the last person to be coming in on that. But <laughs> it's really fascinating. I do find this kind of, you know, obviously, I'm a child of the late 60s, really, 70s. So for me, things like this and this and the Moog and stuff were things that I could never afford at the time. And obviously, as I've got older and can sort of semi-justify it through work, uh, that's where my kind of love has been. And now it's kind of strange, though, moving into the sort of digital realm. It's not as it doesn't do it for me. But I understand, for example, one of the tracks, because I did these kind of pastiche styles on my album. One of the things that I wanted to do was a kind of scritty track. And I know, you know, they're amazing. Gamson's work was amazing. But I know that a load of that was DX and Fairlight which again got me kind of, right, I'm going to I'm gonna master this DX. And as a kind of sound designer, sound person, I should really master all of this. So for me, that's, yeah, it's kind of where my focus is at the minute. Interesting, interesting. Um, Gaz, what do you think? Hmm. I mean, uh, you know, we've, we've t- we, we, we often have these kind of, I think, what's coming. I mean, we, we, mm-hmm. when we had BT on last week, there was uh, a lot of talk about wave shaping and wave morphing yeah. and that being the current zeitgeist. But after that, I mean, where where else? I mean, maybe maybe wave sequencing, but there was only one of those, whereas there's been a few other instruments that do the wave shaping. So what, what do you think? Well, we've talked a lot about granular and like last week we yeah. mentioning how, you know, sampler uh, not so much sampler uh, sorry borderlands has just had a really great update uh and and granular still seems to be something uh, um which has so much more to discover i mean i think typically it was quite uh power hungry and now we've got oodles of power i you know i'm curious to see um i was going to say something though about the digital things uh wouldn't it be good though to have like a box with a big knob on it and it had and it's got loads of different digital to analog uh converters on and you can just switch 
between digital to, you know in terms of um oh, emulations right yeah because the digital gear it's all like ones and zeros isn't it apart from the d2a becomes the kind of thing that really makes the characteristic sound of those particular devices so if someone made I, and, and i'm assuming that a lot of them were you know I, I don't know what the d2as are for instance on a lot of these things but um if you if you just rounded them all up in a box and then when you're playing a sound that's off a dx7 it comes out of that converter when it comes out of a oh, m1 it comes out of that and it's and 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 then surely if you had something like that then all of those would sound exactly like the the original thing because the digital part of it is the same isn't it i mean that bit's easy to well i say easy but um yeah i know i see just, what you're saying that sounds quite interesting because we were talking also about the there was the rmx uh 16 which was you know they they can't get the d2a's and the a to d's of the original kind of uh reverbs so they've they've emulated it on better quality ones so yeah i mean having a few classics i mean collections i don't know if mm. it could be done real time in you know i suppose it could be couldn't it i mean there's no reason why not i mean I guess it's, yeah. it's viable. But I mean, Component it's turning into analog, so it kind of <laughs> just has. Um, just I guess you of... need really, really good D two A's or A to D's to so that they didn't add any colour first. But uh, yeah, uh, well, no, but I mean, it turns it into analog. This is an analog, uh, you know. To see what uh, I mean, the other way so, around, yeah. So it's the yeah. output, yeah. Okay, I see mm, the output, saying. and mm, and then you can plug that into whatever you want. Um, but in terms of future, I mean, I was mentioning about granular um, in Cubase. Is that really interesting? Uh, in the new version of Cubase, Padshop Two has got the the spectral oscillator, and that is really really interesting. And you know, I, I feel that 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 is something uh, that that points the way to the future. I mean, that uh, Padshop. Uh, and I know you love that name, don't you, Nick? Pad Shop was originally just like a you know very cool granular synth, and now with the advent of this spectral oscillator, it does this really interesting thing where um, it will automatically whatever note that you're playing, it will kind of time stretch it. But it's more than that. It's sort of yeah. We did we covered it didn't we in the uh, in the Cubase review? Yeah. yeah. Yes, in the Cubase 10.5 yeah. review, we, yeah, we cover that. Um, but I think that points the way. I think these things, which are, you know, which were, you know, which maybe were impossible in the past purely because of the the amount of DSP needed. So I wonder what else, uh, you know, because like convolution used to be like really, really difficult for processors to kind of manage now. And maybe, um, maybe yeah, you know. maybe we don't. Uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, so that's what I'm wondering. What does the additional computer power allow us to do that was maybe really, you know, that we could hard, maybe yeah. know how to do, but was hard, you know? So that, that's what I'd be thinking about. Yeah, that's hmm. an interesting point. So, Steve, I mean, you know, you just got the neutron, which is about as non-future in many ways. You know, the, the underlying technology of that is 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 not particularly futuristic. It's just a sort of interesting take on it and a and a flavour of older stuff. I mean, where do you think um the, the the future lies in terms of either you know what where you might gravitate or or stuff that you're we're likely to see in terms of instrumentation and instruments um in terms of what i'd like to see um i would really like to see a modern five octave full size keys fm synthesizer right and i'd like it uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's. I mean, I'm still using. I've got a DX7 behind me here, and, I, and actually, this 
camera right here is sitting on top of my DX11. And these are, 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 are lovely uh, instruments, but they do feel... Uh, well, like what they are, at least 30 years old. So I would really like to see a, a modern um, uh, update on this kind of technology. Um, and by the same token, what I also would like to see is a uh, a modelling synthesizer, but not, a, not an analogue modelling synthesizer, but a physical modelling synthesizer in hardware. Because I, I don't know whether I've missed it, but I don't think there's been one since the Yamaha machines in the early 90s oh yes the, the, yeah the thing yeah. you're right i mean and they we, um, we did a couple of pieces on those when we were in hamamatsu and they the, the just the cpu equivalent in the i've forgotten the name of it now it was like having a kind of two mac quadras in a keyboard mm -hmm. you know which at the time was insanely it was just uh, yeah. over specified yeah that's my, really my sorry sorry so my lisa's fusion at least this fusion has got physical modeling Ah, okay. So, so there, yeah. yes, the True. much maligned fusion. <laughs> well, uh, there is um, there is there is, sorry, there was, there was just one other thing. There was some uh, something else that I think points the way to the future, which is going to seem a bit odd. Um, with all these reissues of the old uh, you know, analog classics that we're seeing from various people. Um, it's kind of made me wonder at first, like, does this mean that we're coming to a bit of a cul-de-sac in terms of where we're going to go musically or where we're going to go sonically or whatever? But I had a, a couple of fascinating um, conversations with young people um, who I see occasionally. And I was at a, a party last year where there was an 18-year-old who was DJing, and he was playing a whole load of rock from the 80s. Right. Um, in people, things like Journey, Don't Stop Believing, yeah. and, um, and lots of Guns N' Roses and this kind of thing. Now, I, I said to him, I had to ask him, what, what is it that appeals to you about this music? Because it's really old, um, it wasn't particularly cool at the time. What is it that you like? And he said, it just, it's real. And I said to him, well, but, you know, quite not, not Journey so much, but a lot of the, the rock that came out in the late 80s was considered yeah. artificial or overly produced or whatever at the time. But you, to your ears, it sounds real. Yeah, and as this conversation went on, we just, just realised that I had a, totally different context for this music than he did and he was coming to it with completely fresh ears and just loved it for what it was and the reason i mention this at all is that there's a strong possibility that with all of these analog reissues that we're seeing that the young people coming to them they don't have the the sense of heritage that uh, that we have or at least if they do connect these analog machines to music from the 70s and 80s they'll have a completely different sense of taste and so they'll use them in a different way, in a way that we haven't heard before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that happened, absolutely happened to us with the Tron when we when we released the original M Tron. You know, we, for the first thing we did was for the, for the first six months or so, maybe the first year was we just got CDs in from people, recreating a Yes song or a prog track. And because Chris and I had worked with the original people, we were like, eh, yeah, yeah, it just sounds like a cover version of you know, I don't know whatever the track was. And then all of a sudden, the youngsters got it, and they didn't—they weren't aware of any of this stuff from the past. And, they, and then you started hearing it on trip hop. There was an amazing band called Harmonic Thirty Three. Uh, they were Bristol West Country way, uh, and they sent us this CD. And Chris and I just stood there and went, "Wow! It was just brilliant, beautifully produced. In fact, one of those guys now produces Spiragyra, lives in um, 
Brazil has a very nice life. Thank you very much. And the other one, oh God, what's the other one? He's a well-known producer, remixer guy now, works with Clark and all sorts of people. And you knew that, you know, they just approached it from this kind of completely fresh angle. For, for us, that was a moment. It was a real moment. So yeah, hopefully. And also to build on what Steve said is um, a nice dx uh, a nice fm synth but please can we have some knobs on it please oh uh, well i have got i've got the i mean you may have seen uh, when we're at nam there's the korg six op which is a six operator fm synthesizer quite large I, I don't know if i've got the let me see if i can find a picture of it it was in a glass case there was no real kind of uh, uh ah, yes yes there was no real, interesting. uh let me see if i can find it korg six uh, OP, or OP6, sorry, or OP6, I beg your pardon, uh, not 6OP. Uh, uh, where is it? Let me just see if I can find the this thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember so seeing that. that uh, and there are some knobs on it, but not, and some sliders, and, it's ve and so that to me looks like it might be exactly what you're looking for. Either of you or both of you. So, you know, there it is. And Korg, Korg it's really interesting the way that, that, that companies go in and out of sync with the zeitgeist. And it feels like Korg are really riding the, the wave just ahead of the curve and they're starting to drive the zeitgeist rather than react to it. You know, that. so this and the wave state is, you know, it's a phenomenal piece of work. It's very complicated. But like I said, when we first put that video out of the ARP 2600 and the, uh, and the wave state, uh, Ed went to Korg HQ before Nam, and he, he he kind of filmed both of them, and we released them, you know, within a couple of days of each other, according to the embargoes. The 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 wave state video is probably a third more popular than the twenty six hundred video. Interesting. Wow. I, I mean, don't know. I mean, that's not a qualitative research, but as an indicator, it's quite an interesting sort of uh, metric to kind of think about. You know, so therefore, you know, maybe it's not. It, you know what? What is the driving interest into those? And maybe, and, and hopefully, in fact, it's not. It's not us lot. It's you know a, a younger generation who have a real interest in these things because they've seen them. You know, maybe they've got mates who've got hold of one because they would have been cheaper for a while. So you know, they're more likely to be in the hands of non-collectors. Occasionally, you know, people who just sort of oh, I found this and I thought I'd give it a try. You know, so therefore the technology sort of bubbles back up again and the quality is then sort of rediscovered. And I think that's maybe what's happening. It's, yeah, it's, it's exactly what happened with 808s and 909s, you know, when they were being sold for nothing, 303s and stuff. Whole new generation bought them, churned out a load of new kind of refreshing music. Really fascinating. But uh, I'll leave you with one uh, very interesting story, an amusing story about Wave Stations. Um, Chris here, do you remember the Wave Station SR, which was the kind of little one new rack with the teeny, teeny display? It was kind of a bit of a preset machine, but obviously you could delve in there. It was the wallpapering through a letterbox analogy taken to the extreme. Uh, Chris here was asked to do some sounds for Korg and uh, had worked his way through numerous sounds. Uh, and Chris is really, really kind of punctilious about detail uh, and very good at it. And uh, he'd left it on the whole time and he hadn't backed it up. And he came down one morning and the display was showing garbage and he'd lost all his work. And he said to me, that's the nearest I came to suicide. Wow, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of work, I can imagine. I mean, mm. the thing about the wave station here is you could do a lot of tweaks. Um, and there's the, the way that the, they use the program buttons along the bottom as, you know, program buttons. 
but also as wave and you have to flip modes and if you forget to flip modes and you hit a button go i want to edit that step it's like oh i've actually just recalled uh another preset so it's all gone but to be fair it stays in one mode or the other so you learn pretty quickly not to <laughs> not to do that but don't do that scary yeah, it can be. It can be indeed. Well, the, fascinating. I just thought it's worth. I mean, there are other topics, perhaps. But it feels like we've reached a natural conclusion here. I mean, we'll we'll save a couple because inevitably, after you get like the big trade show Nam as as over, there's a sort of dip in new releases. Although they're still they're still coming out. Um, it's just that um, we. I've, I thought I'd throw in some of these more philosophical discussions. Gaz, you look like you're pining to say something there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna drop <laughs> drop you in it. Was oh. that right? Oh no, maybe not. No, I do beg I was, your pardon. I was, I, was I was pining for a cup of tea. I think. Ah, uh, well, I, I've got uh, one here, but it's cold and you can't. <laughs> you're yeah. not going to be able to enjoy that at all. Mm. It's been, but it's um, a very, it's an yeah. interesting time. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So, uh, so ooh, can I say something, Nick? Yes, because I you mean, can. obviously, um, Superbooth will be with us in April. And we've seen, you know, for the last few years, certainly, that perhaps things that we would have maybe had debuted at NAM maybe been held over till Superbooth. Yeah. Well, the core so, got up six, for sure. Oh, what, that's going to actually be Yeah, they said at, it's going to be shown at Superbooth. Oh, okay. So I just I just wondered about that then. I just wondered if, just, just purely speculatively, if we could sort of um, think about uh, what could be coming then just to well uh, yeah that's I, I, i'm not sure about that i mean i think one thing that is going to be very interesting and this kind of brings berenger into the equation which we sort of tend to studious ignore because they get so much publicity <laughs> already it sort of feels like a little unfair to give them more but what's really interesting about the new uh arp 2600 which is a thing of beauty massive large-scale thing with this keyboard mm. and this the case and the fact that it's only uh, a limited run and it's already sold out. And then, obviously, uh, Behringer have been pushing their version of the 2600 with uh, uh, the AM, AM Synths uh, guy. I forget what his name is. Mm -hmm. and, and they've obviously been working a lot on the engineering side Evil. of it, but it's got a digital reboot. But the, the thing that's fascinating, they're, they're constantly saying, it's coming, it's coming. But uh, we also heard rumours, I mean, there have been rumours, I don't know if there's any truth in this, that there was going to be an ARP. 2600 Mini from Korg as well that was more affordable and they could do a bigger production run. I just wondered about, you know, they're both obviously mm. trying to hit the Super Booth. They wouldn't... How awkward would it be if they ended up with booths next to each other as well <laughs> at Super Booth? That would just be... I think that would be... that. That's something I'd look if I could see that raises a chuckle there because I, I, I do recall there were some beef between uh, some someone at Korg and someone uh, uh, coming up to the Behringer stand and having a bit of a go. So it'd be, it'll be very interesting to see if that happens and, w and whether or not it is the case. Because I don't know, looking at the uh, Behringer 2600 and you look at the Poly D, which came out, was actually quite, you know, for Behringer stuff, was quite expensive. So whether the 2600 will have to be similarly expensive because there's just a lot of electronics in it and whether it, how close those two things, if the Korg thing is real, would end up being in terms of price would be kind of an interesting... Uh, Do we also. know for sure that there's a Mini? No, we don't. I mean, we absolutely don't. I mean, the, I, I there were questions asked at NAM, and there was no... No, you're, there was no absolute denial of that, so I don't know whether that means anything or not. I mean, I didn't, I did, I couldn't, I don't think anybody. I would testify in court to say that there's proof, and I, I, I don't can't. So tight with their NDAs, man. So tight. I helped um, 
Mark Doty a little bit uh, with his the video he did for the 2600 for Reverb, which was great. I mean, there was stuff on that that I didn't even know about the 2600, and I know Pete Townsend, and he'd never told me how he'd used it. But Mark obviously couldn't tell me what it was for. He was just picking my brains about a specific area. And so, obviously, when it was announced, the first thing I did was like, well, I, I, I want one of those because the Mo the Mini Moog reissue is brilliant. In fact, I use that here all the time because it's got MIDI and aftertouch and stuff. And so for me, even though we got 20, an old 2600, I'm like, I want one of these, but I couldn't get one. Just couldn't get one quick enough. And then the phone started ringing off the wall. Can you get me one? Can you get me one? Mm -hmm. So the it was fever pitch, man, fever pitch. I know of two people in the UK who managed to snag one. One of them is on this podcast sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, he said, I mean, Ty, uh, Ty sort of let the cat out of the bag when we were under NDA. You know, he said, yeah, I've got one or I've got one on order. And it's it's really interesting. I mean, that, I don't know how many they made, but it certainly wasn't enough demand. So you just think, why would you create that amount of demand around something and then not be able to fill the void that was left by them not being able to supply it to everybody. So that's the thing I find uh, interesting. I don't know. What, do you have any theories on this, uh, Steve? Um, no, I don't actually. <laughs> um, but <I'm, laughs> Except that it's a good question. And um, in theory, I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll come up with something. <laughs> but uh, no, I think you're right, though. <laughs> it does seem a bit strange to, to put so much effort into recreating uh, such an incredible instrument. But only to sell it as a limited release. And Korg have been around for so long, I don't believe that this is an accident. I, there's, there's bound to be a reason for this. Um, and uh, I don't know what that is, sadly. No, well, we can only speculate. And that's the nature of, uh, of, can I ask of press and news. Yes, of course you can. Go. Is the Behringer 2600 rack mountable? Is it 19-inch rack? Or I think is it, it might be, but it looked right. like it was, but I, I, would, I couldn't say for sure. I mean, I, I, there was another video that came out this week, which was a kind of overview and demo of a bunch of the features. You know, I don't, I don't know what a 2600 sounds like, so I couldn't say whether it sounds, you know, bang on or whatever. I, I just have no, I've no mm -hmm. opinion on that. But, you know, I suspect it sounds, you know, it's going to sound okay, but um, I don't know whether it's rack mount. I couldn't, couldn't tell you that. Anyway. I mean, that is a thing. Well, I was going yeah. to say, the, 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 you know, the original 2600, as beautiful and wonderful as it is, I mean, it is a it is a big old thing, isn't it? So, I mean, it does make sense having a more compact one for a lot of people, just purely because it's a quite an, you know, very impractical, the original, isn't it? You know? Yeah, I suppose just, so. Yeah. Uh, well, it can be. It can be, certainly. Mm. No, good point. Well, it feels like that's probably uh, a good time to end before any of us says anything libelous. Uh, I'm talking of myself, <laughs> of course. Uh, Shall we do that? Shall we give it a go? No, let's not. Yeah, let's and not claim go. it was just an artificial intelligence voice doing it. Well, if I, make the, if I make the screen go black, then it might be possible. But uh, it'd be like Gus Honeybun. Turn the lights off, Gus. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, no, that's not it. Well, that's the wave state. There it is. It's just yeah. sat there. Um, in fact, yeah. Uh, okay. But anyway, thank you, everybody. That's uh, That was a very interesting discussion and uh, uh, filled the, the sort of lack of news void very uh, amicably for as far as I'm concerned. So um, that's it again for this week. Uh, I want to say thank you very much to our guests. I also want to say thank you to Isotope for providing the prize. Don't forget, if you want to win a copy of Ozone 9 Advanced, we're looking for the hashtag bring balance was one word and the hashtag Ozone 9 as one word to add sonic state and isotope inc but that's it for this week so 
Dave, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to thank have you, you and uh, good to oh, see you, you in your habitat there. Um, and uh, I hope, yeah. uh, I'm sure you probably got some stuff coming out soon, but I'm not even going to bother asking you because I know you can't. You, you won't. You yeah, just refuse to talk about I it. I can't. No, yeah, I can't. Exactly. I understand. They, they've got a thing where they're allowed to beat. If I spill any beans, they can beat me around the head until I'm unconscious with a big old school telephone directory, which they keep <laughs> handy. So I try and avoid that. Uh, the only thing I will say is uh, I've been working on a video. So I haven't done a video for a long time. You know, we did a old instrument videos and that's why the cs is in the background because i finally relented they're all doing gooey stuff and cody stuff and there was this kind of little week of opportunity so i'm doing a video well in fact i've just finished video on cs80 uh and i'm just waiting for a couple of little sound bites from some people hopefully that will make everyone laugh uh but yeah so yeah that's why that's there and that's there excellent it's been oh, well, good we'll it's been really good fun we'll look forward to that I, I, is it possible to play the CS80 and not sound Greek? Well, that's the whole, actually, the premise. So whilst I do a walkthrough of the whole CS80, because there's so many little hidden things that I think are the work of genius, uh, particularly for its time, uh, whilst the synth engine is fairly bland, it's the way everything comes together. I, th I know I've shown you before, but I mean, that's a key. That's insane. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a key. So there's your. And um, if I, hang on. Uh, maybe I won't do this. Maybe oh, I will. Once the inside. I mean, I can't. Do uh, wait, it no, I'm I know what it looks like. to the thing. I know what it looks like. Yeah, it's it the, the worrying out. thing for me when we were going to buy one, or when we were really thinking of buying one, was you know I don't want to spend all that money and sound like Van Gelis, Just sound like Van Gelis. So. Kent and I were building this kind of list of albums and iconic things that it was played on that weren't necessarily Vangelis. Uh, but when you get it and you start to use those presets, which are predominantly, were predominantly used by Vangelis, you can't help it. So there's, there's moments in the video <laughs> where you know, it's like, sounds like Vangelis, sounds like Vangelis, sounds like Vangelis, mate. So yeah, and I'm hoping to get a couple of uh, really, really good voiceover people to do a couple of sounds like Vangelis mate bits of humor Excellent. so yes there you go that sounds you fun can, uh, when you close uh when you sign off i'll just open it so everyone can see what a fucking mess it is inside oh <laughs> thank you very much dave uh and also uh steve hillier lovely to have you aboard nice to see you back uh, back on track and um, back in the world and doing what you do what are you jetting off to next then have you got some big stuff planned uh I, I've got a whole load of DJing things that are coming up. Uh, it, it's funny, you know, normally uh, sort of DJ stuff happens in the late spring and summertime, but this year uh, the season for me started really early. So I was actually over in uh, Bath this weekend. Oh, uh, were you? Doing a, yeah, doing um, I did a, a thing called, called the multi-host host ball. I don't know if you've heard of this. I know, I don't know. But it, it, essentially it, it's like a, an enormous party in a, in a where one of the hotels is taken over and um and i've been doing it for a few years it's been uh, it's been great fun I, I ended up on saturday doing seven hours without a break <laughs> finishing at six in the morning so it was that kind of do you know wow. um yeah so so the year's off to a flying start but i'm hoping to have uh, some new music out in the world very soon as well which is uh, about time quite frankly so um Hopefully, if anybody's interested, I'll keep them up to speed um, when that happens. Yeah, uh, that's nice. I'm noticing it looks like my house is on fire. 
Uh, it's not. It's just the light. Well, at least I think so. I, there's nothing behind you, a fire. So yeah, it's. No, it's I can't smell anything. Oh well. Uh, <laughs> but thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure having you. And also, Mr. Gaz Williams there in uh, Bristol. Thanks for joining us too. And uh, mm. uh, yes, and we'll we'll see yeah. you all again soon. And yes, of course, Superbooth uh, will be coming up. Well, it's not until April, Ooh. so I suppose it's going to be a little while yet. But, uh, Synth Synthplex is before that, isn't it? I wonder it if is. that will see some. I wonder if that will actually see some uh, exclusives because that would be nice for Synthplex. Because that's is it second year for Synthplex, is it? Or it is. Yeah, I, Jim, uh, one of the guys. Uh, who you may have seen, uh, he's been here. He's also uh, is part of the NAM team. He's going to be going, I believe. So we should have some video stuff from there. So, yeah, mm. hopefully Excited. it'll all be sorted. Uh, yeah, Synthplex, of course. I think it's in March, isn't it? I should probably... Yeah, I, I, yeah last I week of March, maybe. Or last something. week of March, yeah. We'll, we'll get the dates up and start uh, telling people about it anyway. But that's it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's been a pleasure as ever. We will wave you off with our usual... Ed- oh, gosh, Dave, you've got... Hold on. You've got the... There it is. Look at that. Ta-da! Wow. Crikey. That, yeah, that, I mean, you look inside one of the... Does it, have a, does it have a special smell as well? I expect it probably does, but uh, Dave can't hear. Yes, it does. Uh, that CS80 smell. Right, folks, thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you all next time. That was Sonic Talk number 606. See you later. Bye-bye now.